Hello everyone and welcome to today's webinar, Geomembrane Fabrication and Installation, brought to you by the Geosynthetics Materials Association. I'm Andy Durham, a GMA Executive Council member and a geosynthetics engineer at Owens Corning, and I'll be your moderator today. GMA provides engineering support, business development opportunities, educational programming, government relations expertise, and industry recognition. GMA influences specifications and lobbies on behalf of member companies and targets key U.S. states to expand the geosynthetics market. GMA also provides a network to exchange information, solve common problems, and develop mutually beneficial relationships. Before we get started, I'd like to go over a few items so you know how to participate in today's event. You will have the opportunity to submit text questions to today's presenter by typing your questions into the questions box of the control panel. You may send in your questions at any time during the presentation. We will collect these and address them during the Q&A session at the end of today's presentation. The recording of this webinar and the slides will be made available after today's presentation. I'd now like to introduce our presenter, Dr. Tim Stark, who's a professor of civil and environmental engineering at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign with an expertise in geotechnical engineering. Dr. Stark has been conducting research on geomembranes and other geosynthetics for over 20 years and has been instrumental in the usage of more geosynthetic materials in waste containment and infrastructure projects. Tim is the technical director of the Fabricated Geomembrane Institute at the UIUC, an industry organization that advocates the design and installation of lightweight, flexible, prefabricated geomembrane solutions. You may not all know that Tim is also an avid Fighting Illini fan and believes that they still have an outside shot at the Big Ten Championship this year. Please welcome Tim. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Um, I, I think they're out of it by now, but anyways, good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us on about geomembrane fabrication and installation. Here's an overview of the webinar. The first topic is really important, this quick overview. I'm going to cover a lot of the important topics in this quick overview, and then the other bullet items, I'll get into specifics about what the information is in the quick overview. So the quick overview. <clears throat> what we're discussing is factory versus field seaming. All of these materials come on rolls of limited width and to create a large enough panel for an area we either have to weld it inside or weld it outside and seam it together. So the factory seaming has a lot of advantages as I'm pointing to. Uh, clean, controlled environment. In the field, things are a little harder to deal with in terms of water, uh, soil, etc. getting into the seam because if there are impurities in the seam, you will not get a good seam uh, in the welding process. So these materials can be fabricated in advance seam tested and rolled in a factory, transported to a particular site, unfolded, deployed at a site by just pulling open the panels, and then if needed they can be field seamed there 
and the field seams tested in the field. But that, that amount of seaming will be much less than what occurs in the factory. Some of the advantages of prefabricating the materials, we can create different shapes and complex geometries. This is a well pad that I'm pointing to, and that can be prefabricated instead of trying to cut all of that and fabricate it in the field. This table is really the key to understanding the size of the panels. <clears throat> this column that's in red and I'm highlighting right here is the weight per area of common geomembranes that are listed on the left here. One, two, three, four different types of geomembranes. And so this is the weight per square foot and you can see some are lighter than others. But that weight translates into how big of a panel we can create. And the total size in square feet is limited by the amount of weight your truck or trucking company can carry. So a typical weight in the United States is maybe 6,000 pounds. So if I use 6,000 multiplied by this weight per area, that will give me, or divide by the weight per area, that'll give me the panel area I can create and still satisfy the trucking requirement of 6,000 pounds. Other countries have different trucking weights. You'll see in just a minute in Canada, a 9,000 pound panel was created. So you could take, say, 40 mil LLDPE at 0.195, 9,000 divided by 0.195, and that would give you the allowable panel area. Once you have the panel area, then you can divide it by a length and width, such as you see in the far column, 150 feet by 205 feet. And that size panel of 40 mil LLDPE would meet the shipping requirement of 6,000. <clears throat> So this is an important table and it gives you an idea of your panel size. Each material will have a different uh, weight per area. So the Fabricated Geomembrane Institute has an annual market survey. In 2007 we had great participation from all of the manufacturers and you can see in this survey that there were about 2.3 billion square feet of fabricated materials installed in 2012. That gives the audience an idea of how big or how much fabricated material is uh, installed in a year. Okay, so let's now get into the details. That's the overview. So let's lo look specifically about fabrication and the other topics that uh, I had at the beginning. So fabrication. By using factory fabrication, we can eliminate up to 80% of the field seams. In other words, about 80% of all seams are constructed in the factory, climate-controlled area, and this can reduce the field time and speed installations. An example in the photograph is a tank pad liner, and you can see this circle is created in advance of the geomembrane as well as the other geosynthetics used for the tank pad liner and then just simply deployed at the site instead of trying to create that complex geometry all at once out in the field. 
This is a list of typical geomembranes available in the industry. And all of these geomembranes except one, high-density polyethylene, can be factory fabricated. So there's a wide variety of materials that can be prefabricated uh, as well as in the field. The Fabricated Geomembrane Institute has created three installation guidelines for the International Association of Geosynthetic Installers, IAGI. There's their acronym, IAGI. And these three are on their website. And we broke fabricated geomembranes up into three categories. Lightweight reinforced, and so these are materials with a thickness less than 25 mil. Heavyweight reinforced geomembranes with a thickness of greater than 25 mil. And then unsupported compounded geomembranes, such as PVC geomembranes, EIA, or uh, TPO geomembranes like um, flexible polypropylene. And so if you're interested in installing fabricated materials, I recommend you go to the IAGI website and download the appropriate installation guideline, which walks you through best practices for installing these materials. <clears throat> okay, so fabrication now let's talk about the incoming materials they are inspected when they arrive generally the manufacturer produces a test report of the index properties for the roles that are being provided and certification sheets this is one such typical um, sheet and it has the product specifications and the accompanying test values. And so those are very important for documenting the rolls before they are fabricated into panels. Now, one advantage of the prefabrication process is a panel layout diagram can be created. This is one for a rectangular pond. Each one of these are a panel and these panels are prefabricated, numbered, and shipped to the site, and then they are unloaded off the truck, put in the proper spot, and then unfolded in the field. I'll show you a panel diagram for a landfill in just a minute. Here's the landfill, and this can be created in, say, a, a CAD program such as AutoCAD. Each of the panels are numbered, as you can see here. They show up at the site and then they are unfolded, as you see in this photograph, in this particular spot. And so everything's prefabricated. There's not uh, pre cut, there's not cutting and sizing out in the field. <coughs> so complex geometry, such as a water canal with a corner or a turn can be created in advance and then shipped out into the field in rolls. Here's a panel being deployed with people get a little air underneath the geomembrane and it pulls out very nicely. <clears throat> okay, welding and seaming. There are a variety of ways to weld and seam these materials. They're listed here, two, four, six of them. 
I'll get into specifics about hot ed, hot wedge and hot air. <clears throat> I'll show you dielectric and radio frequency. I'll talk a little bit about solvents as well. So here is thermal welding or wedge welding in a in both factories. These are two different factories and the thermal welder <clears throat> is going down a seam. The material is stretched out in a long fact factory building and the panels are assembled. These welds can be single or solid or they can be dual track where there's an air channel in the middle and I'll talk about air channel testing in a minute. Here's a bigger facility for fabricating materials. You can see at least two panels being constructed here in this middle bay and a panel being folded up in the left bay on the on the side. <clears throat> this is an automated solvent seamer. So those other two photographs or slides I showed were thermal welding. Here is solvent welding and this is an automated machine. If you look these are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven rolls of PVC geomembrane along the top right here. <clears throat> and then below there's a solvent in a bottle with a little brush or sponge that puts solvent along the edge of each of those sheets. The machine flips everything over and the 11 rolls are welded, welded together using solvent and then they exit the automated seamer on the right side here. So that's a pretty sophisticated solvent welding machine. <clears throat> Here's a radio frequency machine. Uh, the left photograph that I'm pointing, this is also a, a solvent weld being after it's been welded off the machine I just showed you. It's accordion folded onto a pallet and then the pallet is transported out to the field. Same with the radio frequency or RF seaming on the right. It's uh, seamed by radio frequency heating up the material, the geomembrane, and then accordion folded onto a pallet transport. This is an automated thermal seamer, similar to the solvent welder, and this can create very large panels in one pass instead of unfolding them onto the floor. So the fabrication can be fairly sophisticated. Here is some of the complex welding and seaming that can occur in a factory. What you see here with all these little creases and folds, this is actually a circular geomembrane for a tank. And it's now all seamed together, folded up into one strip. And when it gets to the field and, and it's unfolded, it will be a circle that fits the diameter of the tank. And that can all be done inside instead of trying to weld and create that complex geometry out in the field. So quality control testing. <clears throat> How do we ensure the quality of the seams? In the factory, the conditions are ideal for seaming. Constant temperature, no wind, uh, no debris, dirt, moisture, rainfall impacting the seaming process. And so 
the test method ASTM D7982 deals with quality control and testing of factory fabricated seams. And it's important to notice that the requirements of 7982 do not require destructive samples of the fabricated seams in the factory to be tested. What's required is tests done on each machine slash operator at the beginning of welding every four hours and this can be accomplished on test strip material or extra material at the end of a roll and also after each shift change. These test welds are done per machine per operator combo so if, if one operator changes the machine they have to double check with 7982. But the important thing about the test method 7982 is we are not destructively sampling the production seams because factory seams are usually of high quality and generally they'll end up to be 10% stronger in shear and peel than a field seam. So no destructive sampling of factory fabricated seams. <clears throat> um, okay, so fabricators can also test the individual geomembranes to make sure they comply with the certification sheets pro provided. Okay, so the factory weld testing, a very typical tensiometer is used for the shear and peel testing. Typical tensiometers on the left, the more sophisticated Instron testing machine is on the right. And we pull the seam in both shear and peel, which I'll demonstrate in just a minute, to make sure it meets the project specifications. Okay, so after the seams in the factory have been created and the QC is performed, they are folded in accordion shape, as I showed in a couple photographs, or also rolled up. In the photograph on the right, you can see a rolled up panel here and that provides some ease rolling it down the slope in the particular application on the right. <clears throat> the panel size is limited by the weight that can be shipped by your trucking company and if it's a lighter material, in other words a, a lower weight per area that I showed you earlier, you can cover a larger area because the panel can be bigger and still weigh less than the required shipping weight. Generally, the panel is wrapped in a protective plastic so dirt and other debris doesn't get into the panel and the panel's not damaged during shipment and it's shipped on a pallet on a usually a flatbed truck or it could be put inside an enclosed truck. Here is a factory panel rolled up on a roll and you can see in this particular facility prefabricated liners already prepackaged. So many companies create these typical size panels in advance so they're on the shelf ready to be deployed by any of the customers that uh, need a rolled panel for those typical sizes. Here are accordion folded panels on a pallet with a plastic cover and here are rolled panels covered and ready for shipment. Here's the large 
panel in Canada. This weighs 9,000 pounds in a single panel, a little heavier shipping weight allowed in Canada. And that is one big panel. You, depending on what the material is, you divide 9,000 by the weight per area, and that would give you the panel size for this particular panel. Okay, so we've talked about fabrication. The next topic to focus in on is installation. And the topics under installation, site preparation, handling, storage, welding, QC, testing, and documentation. Site preparation. <clears throat> Very important for all geomembranes to be placed on a smooth, flat, and unyielding subgrade because if there are rocks and other things sticking up, it could damage the bottom side of the geomembrane. Also, drainage is important, so it's good to have a flat, slightly sloping base so the liquid inside the facility, for example, a landfill, flows to a sump and it can be pumped out. So here are some examples of sites that are not ready for geomembranes, especially the one on the right that I'm pointing to. Clearly there's too much water here and the subgrade is not smooth. The geomembrane will not lie flat on that subgrade and that'll create tensile stresses in the geomembrane which are not desirable. This is a, on the left, is a kind of a close-up of a little ditch in the subgrade and the geomembrane cannot span that uh, ditch or discontinuity and it should be smoothed out. A better example is this facility and this facility the subgrade is under preparation right now. You can see where my pointer is the subgrade has been smooth wheel rolled so it's got a nice smooth surface this area right in here. The area to the left is still being compacted and, and uh, smooth. It has not been smooth wheel rolled, so the area where my pointer is is not ready for geomembrane. And same with on the back side of this particular pond. Here's a smooth wheel roller in process, smoothing and compacting the subgrade. You can see the geomembrane on the left ready for deployment. Um, this moisture should be removed. We don't want a lot of puddling and water present underneath the geomembrane when it's deployed, but the subgrade is being smooth wheel rolled and ready for geomembrane placement. <clears throat> Underlayment. Depending on the subgrade, a geotextile can be used to cushion the geomembrane. So if it's a, a rocky surface and you want to protect the geomembrane, a cushion could be installed or a drainage composite could be installed for rougher subgrades, the geonet in the composite protecting the geomembrane a little more than a non-woven geotextile. Also a drainage composite could be installed below the geomembrane for gas venting purposes and also control groundwater. <clears throat> Here's geotextile installation above the geomembrane instead of below. In this particular application, <clears throat> there is a coarse material being placed on top of the geomembrane as a drainage layer. 
and so a non-woven geotextile can be installed on top of the geomembrane before the drainage layer is placed to protect the geomembrane on the upside from damage. <clears throat> okay, handling, storage, and deployment of fabricated geomembranes. There's an ASTM test method 7865 that gives some requirements and procedures for identifying the panels, how to number them, how to unroll them and unfold them, <clears throat> how to roll them and fold them and ship them from the factory, procedures during transportation to ensure no damage to the geomembrane, and then of course uh, procedures for deployment of the geomembrane. Here are some pictures of material deployment. These are single panels in this particular case for a circular tank, the panels being unfolded <coughs> and then it will be placed in the prepared area for a, a new tank. Here's for a landfill for a coal combustion residual application. The accordion folded panels on the back of this tractor <coughs> and it's uh, or the tractor is pulling it off the accordion fold on the front end loader. People then pull it into position and then it's seamed. <coughs> Here's a smaller panel off a boom truck and being pulled down into a potable water reservoir off an accordion folded panel. <clears throat> so once the panels are deployed, the site, depending on the size of it, may or may not need to have a field seam. This is a two-acre pond. It's being covered with four PVC geomembrane panels. <clears throat> Here's one of them. One of them's already in place. So there'll be two more over here and there'll be four seams that need to be created. <clears throat> this whole pond was covered in half a day. Um, two field seams lo long ways. Here's one and that goes all the way down and then you can go across right here and that field welds the four individual panels. So here's one panel a second panel, a third panel, and here's the fourth panel. So <clears throat> there are 80% less field seams with this fabricated material because the majority of the welding was performed in the factory. Pipe penetrations can be pre-fabricated as well in the factory. So pipe boots can be pre-welded in the factory by having the location of the penetrations ahead of time and those are placed in the panel, the panel's number and these are installed at the right location. Same with uh, pipe boots on slopes. That's all prefabricated in the factory. <clears throat> okay, so let's talk about destructive seam testing and this is only relevant to field seams. Factory seams are not destructively tested. Even the field seams, um, these can be 
This destructive seam testing can be form, performed on material from the anchor trenches or test strip material, not production material. It's, it's painful to take destructive seam samples from a completed seam in the field. So it's, it's better to use anchor trench or test strip material for the fabricated materials that I'm talking about. <clears throat> So for solvent welded material, the test method is ASTM D6214. For unsupported materials such as PVC, flexible polypropylene, the test method is 6392. For tape seams, and tape seams are relevant to EPDM, for example, geomembranes, EPDM geomembranes, it's D7272. And supported materials or reinforced materials ASTM D7749. All of these test methods can be downloaded from the ASTM.org website and users can follow the test methods in each of these. <clears throat> so, in the field and also the factory, we can perform some non-destructive seam testing to either replace or supplement the destructive seam testing that I just described. So here are four different non-destructive seam tests and the corresponding ASTM test methods. The first is air lance testing and I'll show you some photographs that demonstrate this but there's a high pressure air jet that's applied to the seam to make to, to see if there are any gaps or voids in the seam. Vacuum box testing or chamber testing there are the test methods. Air channel testing, which is really beneficial for these more flexible materials because you can see the integrity of the seam, which I'll illustrate in photographs in just a minute. And then spark testing for uh, some very specific geomembranes. So the, mo the, the most common are the first three. Air lance testing. So there's high pressure air being extruded from this nozzle that I'm pointing to right here. The nozzle is moved along the seam, oops, moved along the seam, and if there's a gap in the seam, there will be a difference in sound. You'll hear the air actually go through the hole. It'll give a flapping uh, behavior, and so you'll know that there's an unbonded area there with the air lance test. Leak location is uh, for after the geomembrane is uh, installed, and there are the test methods. Oh. I'll have to go to a different PowerPoint to show you the uh, air channel testing. So this is the summary side, and then I'll, I'll switch PowerPoints. Something happened with this PowerPoint. The fabrication occurs in a controlled environment, 80% less field seams when we factory fabricate. Many geomembranes are installed <clears throat> in a single piece, especially tank liners are a good example. During the installation, the key pieces or key aspects are subgrade preparation, uh, field seam types depend on the material and so they could be solvent welds versus thermal welds. Um, 
destructive and non-destructive testing is available. If you're going to perform destructive testing, that should be performed on anchor trench material or test strips, not the production liner. Non-destructive tests, which I'll illustrate by bringing up a separate PowerPoint, air channel testing, vacuum box, and air lance are, are really a great option. And leak location methods are really important after the cover soil has been installed to check the integrity of the geomembrane. So if there are questions, now would be a good time to submit the questions while I switch PowerPoints. Tim, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, we've had uh, several good questions and uh, a couple that are uh, pretty relevant right after um, some of the things you went through. Um, the first one is from Craig Marker. <clears throat> How common is prefabrication of panels in the landfill industry? In the landfill industry, <clears throat> generally those refer to PVC geomembranes being used for the bottom liner system and factory fabrication for cover, final cover or interim cover materials such as LLDPE or even woded coated polyethylene or EVOH. Okay. Um so with, uh, with fabricated geomembrane panels, how big of a problem are inevitable variations in site prep and grading to get precisely fabricated panels to fit in the field? And that's from Ben Dorji. There's, as long as the site is surveyed properly, really no problem getting panels to fit. You lay out a CAD di diagram, and each panel is prefabricated to that size and installed in the field. <clears throat> okay, uh, here's a good question from, um, um, I'm going to mispronounce the name, but I think it's Tuzi Baser from University of Alberta. Um, what about long-term properties? Are there test methods? That um, that can um, be applied to uh, long-term stability of fabricated geomembranes. Yes, it's the same test methods that are used for field geomembranes, such as uh, xenon arc or um, fluorescent light weathering, and there are ASTM methods for both of those, and the fabricated materials are subjected to the same same testing. Okay. Uh, do you want a couple more questions, Tim? Okay. Um, but leave me enough time to go through about four slides of field testing. Okay, great. Uh, so we do have a few more questions here. Um, tell us how the use of prefabricated panels affect the overall construction cost of a project compared to field fabricated geomembranes? The time and cost are significantly reduced. So let's, let me be specific. So all the destructive testing 
QA and QC that has to occur in the field does not have to occur with fabricated panels. So what this means is third-party firms that are overseeing the installation, there's less travel time, less hotel time out in the field, as well as less testing. Okay. Which also makes the construction more module, modular and predictable. In other words, if you have to go out and install five panels and seam them together, that's a very modular, definable task out in the field. Whereas if you have to come out and cut all of that material, size it up and seam it, weather becomes a factor. It's not a very definable or modular construction schedule. <clears throat> okay. Here's a really good question. Uh, you mentioned, Tim, that um, prefabricating or prefabricated seams generally result in about 10% higher results in peel and shear. Uh, the question is, because of that, is it appropriate to specify higher strength requirements in the QC testing of fabricated geomembranes versus field welded geomembranes? I don't think it's required to submit uh, a higher requirement for the seam. I think it's just important to know that the seam will be 10% stronger in shear and peel because the seam strength for these materials are usually 80% of the parent material. So 80% of the tensile strength of the parent or virgin material. And so what we're saying with factory fabrication, we're going to be 10% above that because of the controlled conditions. Okay. Uh, one of the other questions was uh, um, which geomembranes typically have the best puncture resistance? Um, the best puncture resistance would be from the reinforced materials. Uh, I'll give you about two more questions, Tim, and then you can finish up with your, your last four slides. Okay. Uh, here's a good one uh, from Ryan Camp. Uh, how can seam continuity be tested with an automated, automated seaming machine? Oh, in the, in the factory? Is that? I believe so. Yeah. So in the factory, those automated machines that I showed you some photographs. One was a solvent, an automated solvent and an automated thermal. Generally those are solid seams, so they'll be about an inch wide and they can be tested at the beginning and end of the panel. I, I don't recommend cutting a destructive sample in the middle. If you want to, you can and then patch over it with either a hot air patch or a solvent patch, but I usually I don't like cutting in the middle of a production seam. So those solid seams, they're an in, about an inch wide, can be tested on the end in both shear and peel. Okay. 
Um, and what's your opinion about the use of geomembranes in the core of a dam? Uh, <laughs> that's a really good question. Might be a loaded question. That's from yeah. uh, Sarper Demerdogan. That, that is a loaded question. So to summarize that, in the United States, the major dam entities in the United States have not utilized geosynthetics in a significant way. So no geomembranes, no drainage composites instead of a sand filter in the United States. In, the Europe, in Europe and in Canada, geosynthetics have been used. For example, there's a famous dam in Canada near Vancouver, Mission Dam, built in the 60s that has a PVC geomembrane on its upstream slope and it's performed well ever since. And in Europe, there are also geomembranes being used for, say, dam rehabilitation, concrete dam rehabilitation, as well as concrete face rock fill dams. So that question is uh, really important, really relevant, and most of the examples are not inside the United States. Okay, and then let me give you one more, and then you can finish up, and we'll come back to the last uh, uh, few questions. So, uh, Mabasher Shahid uh, had a question about some specific types of seam testing. Uh, for example, on the wall of a tank, um, how do you test uh, extrusion welded seams? Um, um, as well, and I think he's asking in terms of um, um, if there's differences in uh, how you would test those in the field versus any um, special welds that you would do in the factory. So extrusion welds in the field, generally they have to be tested with the vacuum box. And so the vacuum box is a clear, has a clear glass on it, a vacuum is applied, and you see if air comes up into the vacuum box. If it does, that means there's a, a void or an unbonded area. So that's the best way to, to handle extrusion uh, seams. Now, most all of these fabricated materials can be seamed with hot air or solvent. So very rare to see an extrusion weld on fabricated materials. Generally, extrusion welds are used for high-density polyethylene geomembranes uh, to patch. Andy, there was a second part to that question. Um, I forget. You're right, there was. Uh, and so... Um, I didn't see the second... Well, I think he was referring to... Uh, um, field versus factory fabricated in that one. Okay, so if you do have an extrusion weld in the factory, you would use a vacuum box as well there. Uh, so same whether it's a factory or a field. Okay. I'll tell you what, Tim, why don't you go ahead and uh, um, finish up on your last few slides. I'll compile the rest of these questions at the uh, when you finish that and, and we can close it out. Okay. So somehow uh, I lost a couple slides in the version that I used uh, 
for the presentation today. So I want to go back to the air lance test and the air channel testing of field seams. This is a close-up of the air lance test and the nozzle and this is run along the seam and this is a photograph I showed you earlier and you look for small voids or unbonded areas. The test I really wanted to focus on is the air channel seam test which is illustrated in this uh, these photographs. So the thermal weld has a gap or a channel down the middle so there are two rollers and a, a blank area in between and that creates a little gap or channel that can be pressurized. What's interesting about these fabricated materials is they tend to be fairly flexible. And <clears throat> so the channel... Hey, Tim, I'm sorry to interrupt here, but um, we're uh, not seeing some of those photographs on your screen. We're just seeing your Windows Explorer. Okay. How's that? Uh, yes. Well, now we're seeing air channel seam testing photographs. Yeah. Okay, good. Thanks. Okay, so here's the air channel inflated right here. And what's, what's great about this, we, we measure the pressure in the seam and the ASTM test method has requirements that the seam must hold the, the pressure for 30 seconds and there's a chart depending on the geomembrane temperature, which is great. And, and we developed this at the University of Illinois uh, for PVC geomembranes as well as polypropylene. But the best part of the test, I think, is it inflates the seam, sort of like inflating your bicycle tire tube on the ground, and you can see if there's any discontinuity or unbonded area along the seam. So the seam that's on the, the screen looks really good. It's a continuous linear seam. <coughs> Versus this one. <coughs> this is called an aneurysm. So you can see the air channel, some dirt or moisture entered the seam and you can see the linear feature of the air channel is lost right here at the aneurysm and so you know that this seam has a little less bonded area, actually in the middle here, quite a bit more less bonded area then to the right where the seam is more straight and linear like the air channel. So this would be an area that you would put a patch over top of the aneurysm. Even though the aneurysm is holding air and pressure, you'd just put a patch over top of this and that could be solvent or hot air welded to the, the PVC or polypropylene geomembrane just to make sure that the seam is uh, intact for the long duration of the service life of the geomembrane. So I, I really like the air channel test for flexible materials. It really gives you a good indicator of seam integrity. Okay, Andy, that, that takes me back to summary and questions. Wait, I'm sorry, Tim. Um, 
Okay, so we're going to go through a few more questions here with the time we have left, and I'm going to go back to a question from Mabasher Shahid. Is there any special software that can automatically take care of dimensions, weight while matching uh, site geometry um, with uh, sheets overlap, things like that? Do you know of any uh, software that would help on that, Tim? Um, I think just a typical CAD program. Just for example, AutoCAD, or um, maybe even Microsoft Visio. You can sketch the panel layout diagram, and then in AutoCAD, you, there's an area feature. So you can just highlight the area with the cursor, and then it'll calculate the area of that panel, <clears throat> and then using the weight per area of the panel, you can figure out how much each of those panels will weigh. That's right, and there may uh, there may actually be manufacturers out there that uh, provide um, uh, some tools to help design as well um, if there's uh, um, potential users out there that don't uh, that don't have AutoCAD readily available I would think. Yep, sure, absolutely. Uh, here's a good one from uh, Lucas Morales. Uh, is microbial degradation a common concern to the durability of GM membranes? If so, what type of material is more prone to microbial attack, and are there any uh, test methods that would um, address that? I don't know of any material that's susceptible to microbial attack. They're all pretty resistant. Uh, the bigger problem is animals either walking on the geomembranes and their hoofs or feet going into the geomembranes or maybe animals trying to eat the geomembrane for whatever reason. There's a fairly recent article in Geosynthetics magazine about animal damage to geomembranes. Back to microbial attack, there's an ASTM test. It's called the soil burial test soil burial test. I'm trying to find the ASTM number for it. I can't. Oh, here it is. Uh, D3063 soil burial 3063 and a piece of the geomembrane is placed in a representative soil with its representative microbial population for a certain time and then the geomembrane is tested afterwards. All right. Um, so that's a good question. Um, let's go to um, Adam Chirondo who asks, for extrusion welding of HDPE on vertical walls, is vacuum box testing preferred over spark testing and why? Um, I think vacuum box is, is more common, uh, but you could probably use both. Okay. Um, can you uh, can you use tape for seaming reinforced GM membranes? Generally, tape is used uh, for 
EPDM geomembranes, and generally that material is unreinforced. So I don't know of a tape for other reinforced geomembranes such as polypropylene or <clears throat> woven coated polyethylene. So I think tapes are limited just to EPDM. Okay, good, uh, good answer there, Tim. Appreciate that. Um, I think we probably have one more, uh, one more question, uh, which is a good one again from Craig Marker. Uh, does the project size affect the practicality of using prefabricated panels? And I think uh, he's uh, to read further into that. Would it be more conducive to a smaller project or a larger project, or does it really matter? I think the prefabricated panels are clearly the only option for smaller projects. For example, golf ponds, tank, tanks, etc. If you can go out with one piece of material and install it, I think it's it's fantastic. But I also think the cost benefit. So on those smaller jobs, the quality is much better, far better. But on the bigger jobs, I think that's where you see the bigger cost benefit of prefabricated panels. So if you take a large project like the Columbus Water Reservoir Project, that was a factory fabricated project, hundreds of acres, and if you can do 80% of that work in the factory, that translates to a much bigger cost savings because the field time is significantly reduced. So I think on smaller jobs, much better quality. On bigger jobs, much better cost benefit for prefabricated materials. All right. Well, uh, I think that's all the questions that uh, we've had, and I really appreciate uh, everybody uh, being very interactive and asking uh, a lot of different questions. I think they were all good. Um, uh, so, want to close it out. Um, uh, and uh, thanks. Uh, uh, thank you very, very much, Dr. Stark. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Um, before we wrap everything up, I'd like to mention a couple more ways to become more involved with um, the Geosynthetic Materials Association. Um, this month, November 16th, uh, GMA will be hosting a technical seminar on geosynthetics in uh, Lithicum Heights, Maryland. It'll be in collaboration with the Society of American Military Engineers. Uh, also, uh, the Geosynthetic Materials Association membership visits Washington, D.C. twice a year for a great day on the Hill, uh, touting the benefits of geosynthetics with federal legislators. Uh, in addition to that, GMA also visits three to four states a year to reach out to state and local agencies and officials and promote the benefits of geosynthetics and provide technical training. So we encourage you to contact um, any of us at the GMA to discuss how you can get involved with uh, some of these activities. So once again, just to reiterate, the recording of this webinar will be emailed to you, a link to it, along with a copy of the slides. Um, and um, we, uh, once again, would like to thank Dr. Stark and everyone um, on, the, uh, on the webinar for attending today.
Thanks, Andy. All right. Thank you.